So welcome everyone to the JA show. Today, you know, in this current time, the digital world that we live in, we desire, like we've been thinking a lot as well, like our team, to bring you experts to help you thrive and not just survive in your business and in your life. You know, think about the best ways of thinking. Thinking about the best ways to enhance your relationships in your business as well. And today we have a very special guest all the way from Australia to talk about her favorite things and that's sales and mindset. And when you think about today, it is so important. And so we just want to say as well that this episode is sponsored by the Sales Academy and the special founder, Rana Kodahi, is here with us today. So we just want to welcome you, Rana. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh, see, she's so, so excited. <laughs> so excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. She's amazing. She's funny. And she's going to be talking more about sales today. And she's, she's got so much insights to share with us, you know, with all her experience. And her story is truly incredible. It just shows you that just her re- relentlessness, her persistence, and how much she really cares about her customers as well, that really will shine through. And you'll hear that from her today. So about her background, I'm going to share this and, you know, you can just say yes, Rana, <laughs> through that. So Rana's worked in a variety of sales roles from recruitment, employment services, real estate training services to selling software. So you can see the range of industries that she's worked in to so the amount of people that she would have met through that as well. And with Sales Academy, you know, she specializes in sales and sales leadership, training, coaching and consulting. She loves teaching sales and I can see it. You can see it through her face, like her passion as well. And she loves to help companies thrive and succeed. And she's been so fortunate. You know, she's trained and coached over 10,000 sales and non-sales people across the globe. You know, that true art of sales, influence and mindset and personal development is something key that she teaches as well. And so, you know, before we get deep into her business experience, I thought it's important to know more about Rana. And we, so we thought, let's talk more about you and everyone has a journey. Everyone has a story. And so I'm going to share this, Rana, and I think it's hilarious. Um, but at the same time, you know, we all have dreams and we have to think about what happens throughout that path and really listening to our true destiny and that voice inside as well. And so, you know, Rana shared... I was never meant to work in sales, let alone teach it. My dream was to be a Hollywood actor and walk the red carpet, but sales seemed in my blood and destiny. So Rana, how did the idea come about, you know, becoming a Hollywood actor? How did that come about? When I, what started in my, um, we moved here and then I remember watching, you know, Neighbours and Home and Away? Yes, yes. Yes. So I was watching Neighbours and I said, I want to be on that show. I told my mom and then she just started taking me to drama classes and she was so supportive and she'll get, we'll get on the bus and she'll wait for me outside my drama school. And eventually when I finished high school, I went to a drama academy three years, you have to audition and like 30 people in that three um, process. And that was all I wanted to be actor. And I was doing theater and, you know, I'll go to auditions and things like that. Um, But I was a little bit idealistic although I did not have the actual mindset to succeed because I didn't know about Napoleon Hill. I didn't know about Anthony Robbins. So I just thought, you know what, it's going to be easier. So if I could go back with the mindset that I have now, I would probably be walking Hollywood. But anyway, so I walk 
I got a job just to support my acting career. And it was, although I had done sales jobs before and I always was drawn to sales jobs, uh, I was a secretary and the guy, he just started his business. It was a warehousing business. And he said, just answer the phone. I put a lot of ads. This was in the like early 2000s. He said, I put a lot of ads online. Um, you know, expect the phone to ring. The phone did not ring. I was just in, in this dark warehouse. My, my desk was in the corner. You see all these bathroom products that he imported, like millions of dollars worth from China. This and has got nothing to do with acting. <laughs> no, nothing to do with acting. And I, was, I remember talking to my friends on uh, MSN, you know, MSN days, chatting all day, yes. doing research on Google, reading articles, going on blogs, debating people on blogs. And then one day I just thought, you know what? This guy hasn't sold anything and he went to China. So I started, I got the yellow pages and I just started to research just from my own common sense, uh, construction companies and building companies in the area. I started to make calls telling them, and I didn't actually know about sales. I was probably pitching too much, talking about what we do. Um, then I went, I took his U, he had a U, I took it and I started to visit all the building sites. And I think I told you yesterday in a, the, um, in, our, in a group where I was like, yeah, I wore my high heels and my dress and I walked onto this building site, no protective gear. And I was so confident. Imagine like I was 23 years old, so confident walking in, who was in charge. I had these flyers, I had this card and I'm just, um, so a few weeks later, I made a huge sale. I sold hundreds of um, pre-construction. You say 300,000. I think like, I remember it was somewhere mm. 300, something like that. I, I don't remember exactly, but it was like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to hundreds of units that weren't built yet. And they needed bathtubs, toilets, uh, tiles, tubs, all that kind of stuff that he had. And yeah, so he was so excited, impressed. Then he said, oh, you know, um, do you want to be sales manager? And then I just continued doing selling. And I was doing still the admin until um, he got someone else. And then he just started growing. But yeah, so I realized then that, that selling is important. And it didn't actually, I didn't realize at that time, but it was later throughout my career. And when I started my company, that that story was one of the stories that I started reflecting on. Because I didn't think much of it at the time. It was just like, yeah, okay, great. It, it sounds, there's so many different elements to your story. So you had the dream and then you mm -hmm. realize the importance of having the right mindset as well. And I think depend doesn't matter what industry you're in, you have to have the right mindset, right? Absolutely. But I think the most powerful thing that you said was you took the action. Mm. You know, you made that action and that's what, you know, what, happened with all those amazing sales that happened within the first few weeks and you didn't even realize until you took that action so sometimes you you do have to take that action and you find what you're really good at through that right you find you found that it was your gift yeah at the time I didn't realize that was my gift and I actually continued to study filmmaking and I, I still had that dream of creating and writing as well but um yeah it's just I think my strength lay in sales because even I loved the hunting side of sales. So I love, and I've said this many times, I loved getting on the phone. I loved door knocking. I loved showing up unannounced to those building sites. It was almost, and I say like, looking back now, it's like, I got a thrill from it. Like people get thrills from extreme sports. I got a thrill from doing that. And it, I had to learn throughout my career how to be a farmer because farming was not in my nature, especially as an introvert, building relationships, following up 
meeting people, you know, holding back from doing the hunting. Mm -hmm. That was what was missing, by the way, and took me a long time to learn the other side as well. Mm. And I think that's the important thing as well, where when you have the enthusiasm in something that you said that you just felt inside, you were just so excited to do it. And yeah. that's the thing. I think when you have that enthusiasm for something, that's telling you something, you know, finding what, what emotions are being driven throughout those moments when you're searching for something new in your life, especially your career. And I think that's a good sign for us to listen to as well. Yeah, enthusiasm is everything. But sometimes I think also I've seen salespeople that are over-enthusiastic and then they end up losing the sale because they trigger <laughs> that fight or flight response. That's so true. You, you need to find that balance you and you have to feel you know, quite genuine and you have to get to know the other person. You have to establish the relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and so I know you've done an amazing TED Talk. You've shared so many great golden, you know, moments throughout that. So we're going to share more of that and also cover a lot of the amazing themes and you have to check it out. So it's on the TEDx talk. Make sure you just type in Rana Kodahi. It is truly, truly worth listening to. It's original. She, you know, she brings original ideas, her, her story, and it will inspire and it'll make you think as well that sales can save your life. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to share this and, so first of all, you know, she starts sharing and you have to listen to it because it's the way she, she says it as well. She said it was hailing bombs in Beirut, Lebanon and her whole family, her mother, her father and her two younger sisters, they went by boat to Cyprus. She was nine years old and her father was arguing with a board patrolman. So she explains there was that one incident. And then there was another incident that someone aimed a rifle at her father, but yet he still remained calm. You know, but he sold the man out of that trigger. So you talk about the sales, you know, the art of selling. You talk about the art of negotiation. And we see here in these two scenarios as well, sometimes it can be really a matter of life and death. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for watching the TED Talk and listening to that story and, I mean, mentioning it here. And I, to be, when I first wrote that, that TEDx speech, it was hard to think about a concept because sales to a lot of people, it's either you have to use the jargon of sales and I wanted it to be relatable to everybody all around the and world. And it was so deep as well. Like as soon as you got into it, you just drew people in straight away. You think, what's this story? Where is this going? Where is it? How yeah. can I relate and, to this? Yeah. And I wasn't going to, I had to ask several people whether I should share this story or not, just because I wanted to make sure that I'm not being over dramatic or, you know, it's not about, trying to get that attention because you need to get that attention in the beginning, but also I wanted that story to be relevant, but yeah, absolutely. And I never thought about those stories until I was writing the Ted talk. And then I realized, you know what? My dad, he had to sell himself out of getting um, shot. And at the same time we had, to, we got sent back to Lebanon because he probably didn't build that rapport with the man and people buy from people they like. Right. So That's if true. that man liked my dad, and he liked and he thought he had, um, and my dad was able to build that connection and listen, maybe we would have been able to get through mm. or maybe not, but maybe it wouldn't have been such a bad, you know, conflict between them two. And also like, I was a bit worried because my dad, like, yeah, my dad's one of the best, he's a photographer, journalist, and he's a writer, but he's one of the best salespeople ever. So if my dad's listening yeah, I was like, oh my God, is my dad going to be like, she's telling my story. She's making me look bad because 
he's one of the most influential people I've ever known. He's so smart, charismatic. He walks into any room and he's got a lot of he presence. Lights up the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had three kids, his wife, he's like, we got sent back. And I remember the bomb. I didn't tell that story, but I remember the bombs falling down in Beirut. Like I remember hiding with my family and we, then there was a taxi. I don't know what that taxi was doing there. And we ended up getting a taxi. Um, which was strange because like it was quite dangerous, but maybe he needed the money to work. And we ended up finding a taxi to get back home to safety. So, but we ended up going back to Cyprus, by the way, and living there for almost a year. So sometimes it's in the right time as well. You may realize when you look back and I know we're starting to go very deeply, but it just shows that in any situation, you know, mm -hmm. learning that skill, it's so important. And you also notice that when you look back, even throughout your life, that relevance, in being able to sell and not in a bad way, but really trying to to share your ideas sometimes, you know, trying to show that you really do add value and really applying it. And so I also love how you say, Rani, is you don't believe in knowledge collection, but implementation and sales results. Now, I 100% agree because it's not just about the knowledge, but that true application. So what are the things that you, you know, that people also need to think about and about discipline and persistence as well with that application of sales. Absolutely. So I'm a knowledge junkie. I want to read every book. I want to learn everything. I've always been like that since I was a child, just wanting to know everything about anything. However, I realized later on that there was a lot of things that I knew, but I was not implementing. And what ended up happening is I ended up working in a learning and development. And when I was working in learning development, we had, we used to pay thousands of dollars for courses. And a lot of times the staff went back and to their jobs and that money was wasted because there was no implementation plan. And when I started my training company, I started with, I have your one day training. If you're not willing to take your staff through the implementation plan and that repetition, then don't do my course because you're just wasting your money. And that's that's what I, because I learned that through my um, career, paying money, paying trainers to come in and deliver training and there was no implementation. And that's what I realized. Like, And I always learned, you know, as Anthony Robbins says, as some of the great teachers say, repetition is the mother of all learning. Mm-hmm. So if there's no repetition, I can tell you exactly how to overcome objections. I'll give you the, the five-step framework. However... And you might memorize that five-step framework and might know how to do it. However, if you don't go and practice that on a conscious level, and then after you practice it, you're like, okay, this work didn't didn't work. The framework, maybe I can change it a little bit here and there because it works better like this for that industry. And you repeat that process, then don't waste your money and don't waste your time watching these videos or um, books, reading those books. I think it's so valuable that you say that because it is so true. Sometimes you can have like a trainer that just comes in, they do a three-day, you know, three-day course, and then there's that there's no implementation afterwards. There's no implementation plan. But we all know that if you do not have action, and I recently posted this, you are guaranteed failure. If there is yeah. no action involved, you are guaranteed failure. So you need to make sure that it's also implemented as part of the training and also the knowledge as well, especially in sales, right? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you need to take responsibility on your own, but that is hard. And that's why if you have a coach um, helping you implement or even the managers in the company. So a lot of the implementation plans that have failed through my courses were the managers. They did not take uh, the ownership 
and they're like, I'm too busy. They were just on Excel, you know, giving people directions, asking how many sales have you had? And they're not taking them or coaching them through the process. And if you're a manager out there, if you don't take that time to coach your staff every two weeks, sit down, look at their implementation and say, hey, let's, why don't we just um, do a role play right now on the phone to see overcoming objections? Or why don't we do a role play and um, take out your five best questions that you can ask this customer and let's uh, refine those questions that might be relevant to that customer. Mm, and yeah, so, true. so it's, it's so important. And then when we think about the perception of sales as well, and I know you've mentioned that word taboo, mm. how do you, do you think that should change? Like how can that, the word sales change? I know it also starts with the mindset, but what do you mm. think about the perception of sales? Well, I mean, there's two different worlds of sales. There's the world of the Wolf of Wall Street and I've got nothing against uh, Jordan Belford. He's a great sales trainer. I'm just talking about in that film, the way they um, portrayed the sales world is quite different than the actual, I mean, no, it's not very different. There are some sales that do that. And I've worked in those sales uh, environments, specifically in timeshares in Mexico. Um, and when I was doing telemarketing, that was a type of sales. However, and I personally don't train those types of companies. So if a telemarketing company says, hey, can you train our staff in how to close on the phone and, you know, bother people in their homes. I'm not into that. I just say, why don't you run some Facebook ads or, you know, marketing works better for that. I personally find you don't need salespeople in the, the, a lot in the low, low value, high volume. Mm -hmm. but, so that's that world. But there's another world of sales, which is the enterprise world, which is um, the corporate world, which is the business to business. And it's very complex. And, um, if you use a lot of those high pressure sales tricks, tactics, yeah. tactics, you're not gonna, it's not, you're not going to last because relationships are the foundations of that world. Mm -hmm. Trust is the foundations, your reputation, your credibility, your reputation can be ruined in five minutes. And that's why some people find sales as a taboo because they've got the perception of the telemarketing world, the uh, Wolf of Wall Street world. And there's a whole different sales world out there, which I recommend going and working in. I'm not saying not to work in high pressure also can teach you, you know, door knocking, telemarketing. Those are great. Um, they can help you with your confidence and not fearing rejection. But yeah, so sales is not really taboo at the same time because, sorry, sales can help so many people. For example, mm -hmm. if you worked in a company and you sell, you're potentially saving a lot of jobs, by the way. Yes, that's a big key thing that you've mentioned yeah. as well in terms of some of your purposes is that is one of the greater foundations in terms of being able to be profitable so you can continue to employ people, you can continue to do more with your business as well. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes when I think of, uh, you know, I've got a staff member and if I'm not selling, I can't pay her. So sometimes even my drive is I need to sell so I can help, um, pay, help pay for her wages. And also I think about her family, and you know um her children and things like that so think about the impact in the working environment if you're not selling and the, the company is not doing well or if you're working for a startup a startup you know sometimes they put all their life savings into that business and they hire a few people and they actually paying off a loan just to, to to pay for your wages so if you're not selling or if you're not taking that seriously your job 
that's gonna you could ruin um impact so many other people out there as well it's not just about you it's your employees and then their families as well so you always have to keep cells also in front of mind but doing it the right way and you've also talked about this this i loved how you spoke about there's two different ways so you can be pushy always Mm -hmm. be closing and then the other type which i i really really love where you say consulting always be consulting so share more about those two types because i think it's important to keep that front of mind when people are thinking about sales so always be closing is quite popular and it's very old school and it's always like it's more about you than the customer and um always be connecting so always be connecting which is a consultant type of salesperson I didn't actually make that up. I got it from somewhere. I must have read it somewhere on the internet or another great sales expert must have said it. And I was like, wow, that makes sense. Always be connecting. And there's another one I use, which is always be asking. Mm-hmm. Always be listening. Those are more important than uh, always be closing or always be pitching. Because at the end of the day, the pitch is one of the least important things you can do unless you're invited into pitch, Right. Mm-hmm. But you're not mm-hmm. even going to do a great pitch if you don't do a great discovery and you don't take the time to find out their values, their business goals, what's important to them, their pain points. And then you can speak their language. Absolutely. And I know you've also shared an incredible story about pitching, about when you were in Mexico, there was a James mm-hmm. and there was a Santiago. So That's actually James- their real names. I'm a bit worried. Yeah. <laughs> but you <laughs> no, know, I did, I did share, I've written about them like five years ago. I read an article. <laughs> specifically about them so and santiago um, you know that's james in spanish did you know that so they're they're both james but i didn't know yeah santiago so i thought maybe you would just make you could have made the name no 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 no. it's actually james and james yeah james and santiago and i remember one guy that worked there he read my story or he saw because i did a youtube video about it too and he said i stared on face and said haha i know who you're talking like like I remember who they are. I know who they are. Yeah. So, so just to explain that James was the person who had all the right qualifications. He had the amazing experience in terms of, um, you know, if you looked at his resume, you think, okay. And then Santiago, he didn't go to college at all. But then when you look at both of them, Santiago actually achieved more sales. And so Rana is going to share with us, this is a true story, why and how Santiago was able to, to have more sales and it didn't matter what the background was at all. Mm. So you have to imagine this scenario where um, in a sales team of 150 sales reps, we're selling timeshares and we have to sell people in 90 minutes, these couples that come in to our resort. And we're in this sales environment, we're in Mexico, but you have to speak English and you have to know how to sell. And um, Santiago, he was Mexican, although we live in Mexico, but you know, you'd think that you'd be more of an advantage if you were a native English speaker, right? So he was Mexican, he was scruffy, he was, uh, you know, short, like not that educated from what I remember. And he was just very casual. Where James, he wore the four-piece suits, he had a PhD, he read the business review every morning, he was handsome, tall, um, knew everything, practiced his pitching, practiced his everything. But every morning out of the 150 salespeople, he was on the top, like the top five, their names were getting called out. Uh, Santiago was one of them. James was actually in the bottom of the 150 where he was not selling. And what and were the of, Yeah, well, I knew both of them personally. One of them was very confident. Mm-hmm. Confidence. It was confidence. Like 
pure confidence. Of course, there were other things, but pure confidence where James did not have the confidence, although he might have acted like he's got confidence, but he did not also believe in what he was selling. And he, when it came to, to the uh, overcoming objections or closing part, he, um, yeah, he just kind of shied away from that. And I shadowed them because I was new, I remember at the time, and I was shadowing different people and I, I shadowed both of them. And I got to know both of them personally on a person because we lived in a small town. So we knew everybody will party with people. We'll, you know, James was one of my best friends where I go for coffee with him. Um, how, do you, how do you build that confidence? What do you think is the best way to build that confidence? Because you saw that in the instance, James knew, he knew everything had the right skill. He looked the right part. But how do you make sure that you have that right confidence? Some people, they're probably, it's more of a um, natural thing because of through their environment, they had nurturing parents, they had, um, you know, or maybe they built that resilience because things happen in their life. So, but building confidence, and mm -hmm. as you know, because you follow a lot of these great teachers that teach us how to build confidence, it's a matter of conditioning yourself. And there's like a, a framework that I uh, teach, which is number one, identify the impact that you're making. So whatever you're, obviously you have to believe in what you're selling, but if you're selling something that's going to change people's lives, for example, in the timeshares that we were selling, they could go to a five-star uh, $1,000 a night uh, hotel for free if they were members and go anywhere in the world. And they owned it mm -hmm. like, so they could live like millionaires for not much money. So it was, you shared it, right? So whatever you're, you have to think about, I'm making a difference. I'm making an impact. Number two is change a story, change a story that, you know, I hate selling or um, I'm not good enough or I'm even in your own personal life, change that story that you tell about yourself or change a story of what other people say about you or what you think other people say about you. Number three, you know, the physiology. So work on as Anthony Robbins, he, he, he teaches this and in NLP, because I'm an NLP practitioner, I learned that physiology is everything from your smile to your putting your shoulders back to breathing, that's going to change your mood. How you, so you use your body is going to help you feel confident or not, make you feel happy or not. Number four is reframe. Yeah. So reframe, if uh, I make a 50 calls today and it's all going bad, I can reframe and say, well, I had my chance to practice. And the number five is um, mastery, develop mastery. So every day, read books on sales, watch videos, do some sessions, practice, because really confidence also comes with competence. If you reach a level of competence in your, so for, when I first started my sales training, I wasn't so confident, but then when I started doing better, getting results, I became more and more confident based on the competence. My, um, yeah, so those are the five ways or five steps that I teach everybody in regards to confidence, but confidence comes with conditioning every day. It takes work. And even me, I'm confident, but there are days where I stop being confident because I'm cha I've changed the story. I've changed my physiology. I'm re reframing in the worst way. I'm not thinking about the impact I'm making and what I'm selling or in the lives of other people. And then I can go into a downward yeah. spiral. So it, it's, it's actually very hard work by the way. And, you have to be willing to do the work. And it's every single day. And I love how you use that word every day. And also yeah. it does make a huge difference. I mean, one of the first things I do in the morning, I'll go for a 90 minute run or I'll just go running for two hours and straight away, like my day, it feels so set 
because you've taken care of yeah. yourself and you're priming yourself to get ready before you start to speak to clients or you start to do you know some of the sales work that you do yeah and it's and priming, really, i mean yeah yeah so the priming work to be honest with you i didn't do that priming work for a long time even after i attended the tony robbins because it was easy not to do the priming work um it took me almost like seven months to start doing any priming work mm. So even I know the stuff doesn't mean I do the, um, it's, it's not easy to do the work because it's, but that 90 minute run, that's great for your health and physiology. Yeah. So physiology is even if you want to exercise, you want to meditate, you want to do yoga, you want to stretch, you want to dance. That's all part of it. And it's a great time to think and shut off as well sometimes from the world. And I think that's what we all need, especially in the digital world that we live in today. And so I loved also how you spoke about people buy from people. So what are some of the best ways you think in building that rapport and especially online today? So, uh, yeah, I did speak well in my one of the first sales jobs that I had where they gave us daily training. I, they told us that people buy people and if people are not bought into you, they're not going to buy from you. Now, I believe that people don't have to be so in love with you or you have to, even in business to business, I don't have the, with my customers, it's not like we have amazing relationships. They just trust me and trust that I can do things. However, um, to connect and build rapport with people, we all know, like, I don't want to go through the cliches of body language, eye contact, asking questions, taking an interest, being credible, being trustworthy, uh, following through what you do. And even there's the um, trust equation, which is credibility, competence, and um, trustworthiness, which is, we used to train that a lot at KPMG. It's from a book called The Trusted Advisor. Mm -hmm. But when it then, you know what, now we're living in a world where people check you out and do the research on you as you are making that cold call, as you send the email and they see your signature, they don't, might not respond to you, but they might like, oh, okay. Um, Laura Rivera, I wonder who she is. Let me Google her before I respond to her email or look at what she has to do. And then they go this, down this rabbit hole of looking at you on your Facebook, on your Instagram, on your LinkedIn. So if you're not somebody that is nice, if you're somebody that's arguing with a lot of people, if you're someone with polarizing opinions or very opinionated, I'm, I'm opinionated, you know that, but... <laughs> They, they might, and I'm not saying... You have to, to do it in the right intentions as well. And I think, you know, I was teaching yeah. this specific topic yesterday and the word was, it was agreeable. And you think, oh, agreeable? But, okay, so when you look at the source in terms of agree, where does that come from? It's, it's a Latin, from Latin, and it's pleasing. Now, in order mm. to win over people, you need to have a pleasing personality. And that's something that you absolutely have to work on as well. And what does pleasing yeah. personality? There was three things. When you think about, you know, when I think about serving people and delivering is the QQS formula. And you probably remember it's like quality, quantity. And then the last one, which is, you know, we're talking about building a report, is spirit. So being able to mm. give that in the spirit of harmony. And so that's such a key one as well that I know that you're covering right now. Yeah, it, absolutely. Absolutely. And I like that framework as well. Mm. It's something for yeah, us to keep so, in mind. Sometimes you just focus on yeah, the quality yeah, and the quantity, but then how are you showing up? And then that pleasing personality That's because good. people want to buy mm. from people who have a nice personality and it's something that yeah. we need to work on every single day. Absolutely. I think nice personality, but also we have to be careful when it comes to being too nice because have you ever heard of the book called The Challenger Sales? Mm. Well, I've got, so the, I had this one ready just 
one. Have you read this one? Okay, <laughs> I haven't read that one, but I've heard it's a good one. So there's one it's where they've done to Napoleon research. Hill as well. It says you have to read Napoleon Hill. So yeah, it's all good. Okay, so I mean, yeah. So if he if they recommend he or she recommends Napoleon Hill, it must be a good book. Yeah. But also, um, I I do agree. We have to I, like. I think people that are just argumentative or trying to cause trouble or debating with people, if I look them up or they're just nasty people, I'm not going to hire them. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to buy from them. And I'm certainly not going to even want to add them on my LinkedIn connections. Right. However, we have to also think about, we need to be pleasing, but at the same time, it's good to challenge opinions and be assertive. And some of the best salespeople they've done research were through the challenger sales where um, they were challenging the customer on conceptions that they had, or they were challenging them on the status quo, obviously in a respectful way as well. So, and also like there's a different school of thought, by the way, I say people buy people because I believe in that, but there are actually other sales trainers that say, no, like you don't have to be likable for people to, to buy from you. So Mm. They could be, there's one school, of, which I, I personally don't agree with that, but some people say, you know, people can um, just need to respect you and they'll buy from you. They don't have to like you. Me, for my dead body, I'll buy from you unless you're a doctor and I, you're rude and we have to close that, like, think that, sorry, doctors, but some doctors are rude. Like, you ask them something, they don't know how to build a rapport. If you guys need any sales training, doctors out there you know what i also have um, my host on one of the other podcasts she had the similar experience to do with doctors and it was actually you know so you're saying this rana honestly this is what happened that she decided that she wanted to go through the ivf process and so as she was going through the ivf process the doctor said oh why don't you just have two at once but he didn't outline all all of the risks and so she went through the process and one of her sons became like he was disabled and she was just wow. like, why didn't he even, even say the risk? And she said, yes, he was probably ignorant of her of not looking it up, but it was that communication even throughout the whole process and everything like that. Mm. And so it's such a key thing in terms of being able to relate, I think is key because it does impact on other people as well. And she wrote a book about it. So she's even wrote a whole book about that whole process that she had with that communication like the lack of communication that she experienced. I mean, they're doing wonderful things today, but I think it's a, such a personal one that, you know, if we have something to share, we definitely need to share it with the world. Yeah, and I think that book might make an impact on how some specialists might communicate because there is a lack of communication. Even some specialists where I've heard stories where you ask, my friends went to them, and they're like, okay, so can you just tell me about the risks or whatever? And they're like, trust me, I'm the specialist. Listen to me. Like they said it in those exact words. But you know what? I've I've gone to a doctor. I went to a doctor maybe um two months ago. I had influenza. I thought I had COVID nineteen, but I didn't. Luckily, I had influenza, and she was so nice. Asked me about my day, my job, my family, and but she was under thirty. Mm. I think she would have been twenty nine. So maybe the younger ones are getting uh, trained in how to build relationships. Because you know what? If you're rude to me and you're a doctor, I'm not going to go back to you, uh, and you're not going to make money in your Practice. And I think also on the other side, you need to have that instinct. If you don't feel comfortable with someone who doesn't communicate the best way, you can have that decision yeah. of not going back. But it's also, yeah, it just doesn't matter what profession you're in, just to be able to build that rapport, build that trust and that relationship as well, because that mm. word of mouth is so strong. And, you know, you know, Paula Coelho, you've read The Alchemist, right? 
Yeah, 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 I know, so beautiful. And so even his book, he said all these celebrities were reading it and they were were telling the whole world. But he said in that moment really nothing happened. But you know when it went, Mm. what happened, he said, when it wasn't the New York bestseller, it was the anonymous people that were reading because there was just, you know, there's a lot of them. And so that's the Mm. thing when we think about that, you know, who are the important people out there? It's everyone that really contributed everyone. to your success as well, even within that. You know, we all have an important yeah. voice. Absolutely. And without people, you're not going to get anywhere without people. It doesn't matter whether it's, and I always think like, and I always say this, you start on LinkedIn and you have 50 people that watch your, your things. Imagine that you were on stage and you were presenting to 50 people at a breakfast. Matter. So don't just, uh, every person, people looking at your content or you have a hundred thousand people looking at your content okay then when you get to a hundred thousand okay i got up and spoke in front of a hundred thousand people on stage and they all matter every single one of them Mm -hmm. make a difference and without and some people get to the level where i they have this grandiose oh i've made it i'm huge and they forget that without those people supporting you whether it's on linkedin or whether it's in your workplace nobody because you're not going to make it without people and relationships. You're not going to get hired. Um, in fact, if you're a nasty person, your people will say, don't experience where people said, don't hire this person because they just ask other people and you have to kind of, okay. Uh, so yeah. Absolutely. I don't know, maybe I'm rambling on to... to No, but it's really true about really understanding. And even people who have started their journey, um, you know, I've heard, I remember even Tony Robbins was saying, I know we've been speaking about him, that in his first... I love him. In in his first uh, public speaking, like he he invested so much in marketing, and then he said not many people turn up, there was only seven. And then even, you know, Les Brown, yeah, even Les Brown when he was talking about that, and only there was one person that showed up. (laughs) But then he realized, and he said, I'm not going to speak, there's only one. But then you realize just how important every single person is and you can make that one difference in someone's life, you know, and you think even through sales, yes, through sales, because you're actually offering something. You're asking them what they need. You're trying to solve their problems. And so we've been speaking a bit about online and I know digital footprint is so important today is how you show up online, how you appear, Mm -hmm. how you engage and how you communicate with other people. So, you know, when people are, they're scrolling through their feeds, be any other platforms when you're selling how do you make sure that you stand out amongst all of the crowd and do it the right way so and this also leads to the question is can you sell through a post okay so this is a hard one because it depends if your intention is to be an influencer and you want to influence lots of people then you need to have original content you have to be authentic uh use your voice and it doesn't have to be so original, but like what you're doing, follow the formula that Laura is doing. But if you want to sell to a specific industry, then follow what I'm doing because I've got my niche market. A lot of my first level connections are in the industries, in the companies, in the geography that I want to serve. Either their staff members are connected to me or their um, C-suite level or their CEOs. And I'm, so it doesn't matter if my post goes viral, it matters if they're looking at my post. So You're something like my post, you will, mm-hmm. 
it's very targeted and when i um you know i do quite well but then when i look at who's which companies have been looking almost 99 percent of the time the companies that are looking at my posts are those companies that are either my clients or i've got on my target list that i want to do business with a lot of those people don't like my posts don't comment on my posts fair enough but they are watching my posts so that's number one get very clear if you want to like obviously use your LinkedIn to um, build relationships with those types of people and you stay kind of, I don't want to say small, but stay connected to the right people. Of course, connect with other people that inspire you. Yeah, you can grow your network, but make that a priority. Number two, think about what are the biggest problems that these companies are having and then start creating content to do with helping them solve their problems. Now, I don't, not from a know it, like sometimes I see people's content and it's like, I'm the expert and all these other experts are wrong and I'm right. You know, not in that kind of way, in the way where talk about your experiences or share a story about something that you've learned or say, you know what, these are the like five ways that you can do this in your industry. And like when I go training people, I treat them like all, they're all experts. And I'm here just to give them something new. So when you want to talk to your audience, don't treat them like as if they're stupid or they don't know what you're teaching as well. Uh, that's number two. And number three, how to stand out against, well, you will stand out. If you have a niche market, you're going to, I stand out in employment services because not many people in my industry are actually getting on, people that are selling to those industries have podcasts, getting on camera and creating content. Even It's not even about LinkedIn. I've got a database of 7,000 people that work in employment services. And if I had to let go of my LinkedIn or that database for my business to succeed, I'll let go of LinkedIn because that database and email marketing is what drives my business because it's very targeted. So targeted uh, content, speak their language. And it's not a matter of like, some people think that they, like a lot of salespeople, I say, you don't have to be creating content like someone like me or someone like Laura. But if you can position yourself, for example, if you have a few articles and you have a few posts and that's fine, you haven't done any content for a few months because you're busy out there selling. But when the customer Googles you, what is the first thing they're going to see? That's they're so true. That's the first thing they're going to do. They're going to they're gonna check your online stuff. They're going to see yeah. what you're saying first. And they, there yeah. was a statistic saying that when they're actually there, they're 70% made up their decision. And I get this from all of my clients Based that I speak on, with. They yeah. said, I've seen your stuff, Laura, and I love it and I already know you. And that's the difference. And I think it is important today that we do show up online. Um, even mm. if you just take the time, that's what I think. You just take the time, even if yeah. it's once a week or a few times a week, just take that time, do a video or share something just to show that you are active because they will see, just like Rana said, the last thing that you've posted about. Yeah. And does it represent who they you are? See. Absolutely. And even if you're connected to say 500 people in your industry and not many, um, if you start just posting once or twice or even three times a week to do with their issues or things that they're interested in or setting yourself up as the expert, which you should be the expert in whatever you're working in, then you're going to stay on top of mind. So when, for example, I work with a lot of recruitment companies and employment services. So if I say to them, share about, um, you know, how to do an interview and share about things to do with the uh, labor market and things that are relevant to employers or how to build a great, um, a diverse team, share this kind of content. And sometimes I don't put pressure on them where I say, write original. I just say, go get something, like go get an article, share somebody else's work, but just stay on top of mind. So when they have a recruitment problem, 
they think, you know what, Jenny has been on my feed. She's been sharing lots of valuable things to do with things that are relevant to me. Just to be at the top of mind. Mm -hmm. To be on top of mind. And that's what a lot of, I mean, a lot of people that I teach in recruitment, they don't really post the best stuff. They post like you've seen recruitment posts looking for yeah, someone like that. It's all about just jobs looking for, um, which is a you, different like, world. Yeah. I've got, you know, some great friends as well who do work in HR and they comment on all the pain points that people are going through and it's on both sides. And so when they yeah. share that, you start having that relationship with people through just through posts. I think it's so yeah. important to do that. Yeah. Yeah, even getting, yeah, absolutely. Getting into the comments, having a, a discussion, um, networking, but also just be careful because some people then end up being too much in that world. Mm, you have to have that balance. Up, mm. And then they end up forgetting about uh, the phone, outreach, uh, messaging people because what happens is some people end up getting sucked into the dopamine of the attention and then they forget about so for example i heard a story about a influencer who lost their job because the employer was looking at them sorry what happened is the employee didn't know they were an influencer i think they were on instagram and they had um hundreds and thousands of people following them and then the employer was complaining how this person's not doing their job they're not getting they're not performing and then someone said well that person's an influencer and the, the employee looked them up and they're like, they were posting at different times. And, you know, apparently they were using it to make sales as well. I think it was real estate, but that person got too sucked into the world of influencer and lost the reality with the human to human interaction. Mm -hmm. so and it's, that's it's so important to be mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think trying to allocate that time, I know we talk about social media is important today. It is. And when you think about it, you know, I had this thought, marketing is free. Posting is free. And you know, before you had to pay, you have to think about radio, you have to think about TV, and that costs a fortune just to get your voice out there. But today at a click of a button, it is free. So I think it's also a mindset instead of thinking, I don't have time. But if you think, wow, this is like a free form of marketing. I can show up every single day. I can share my view. And it's even more important today, but also having that balance and not being so sucked in, as you mentioned, it's, it's easy to, to do that, but at the same time, understand where the priorities are during the day. And so when we think about that, I know persuasion and influence is such a big thing. You're talking about influencer, but it's such, I find that it's even more important today. So it's having that balance, right? When you're in sales, you have to show as well the strong influence that yeah. you have in the digital world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when people look you up and they see that you're influencing a lot of people and you are credible and you have knowledge in what you're, in your expertise, then you can influence people as well. Definitely. You can influence people at a scale. Like how, how, did you, how did you start to build it up for in terms of sales for you? How did you start thinking about that? So to be honest with you, I've, I've had my business for seven years and I only started doing content um, marketing, which is content on social media for my business late 2017. So not, not long. I think I went to, I'm, I discovered Gary, although I was always selling, but I didn't really get into the world of social selling. Um, although I did to tell people like, you can do this, you can, uh, you know, do social selling. It's just, I didn't want to do it. 
me personally because I was already making a lot of money in my business, by the way. So I was doing really well. Like in my business, I had a lot of referrals. I was traveling all across Australia and I was very busy and I just didn't see the relevance. However, I think when I'm, I was doing more research about, because I was teaching networking, online networking, and I came across Gary V. And I think when I saw Gary's v, this video, it spoke to me and my business rather than even about salespeople and what they're doing, right? Because what I was teaching salespeople is just to write a few, like what I was doing, write a few articles, go on blogs, connect with people, reach out to them. But it wasn't like the mass scale that I'm doing now, which is building my authority um yeah so it really helped me like gary v helped me and then i did this other course this other guy um he was talking about personal branding and you're the brand and then i just said you know what i can't resist anymore because i didn't want to get on camera i, I always had an issue with camera like why is that but you're you were born an actress right an actor <laughs> yeah 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 but i didn't even when I, in my camera class i didn't like camera class i like theater i didn't i had a boyfriend that wanted to do skype in Mexico, I was in Australia, long distance, and I was like, no, I just did not like that. I didn't like camera. It wasn't my, even now, like, you know, I talk to my um, staff member every day and I get on WhatsApp with her on the phone. It's, and sometimes I turn off the camera and I show her how to do things. And, you know, I do get on camera with her once a week and we talk all the time, by the way, and I, I just find it like it, it does drain me. But I think there is but a anyway, lot of value with the camera. So of much course. more today. Absolutely. I honestly so I... a lot of my clients. I'm like, you have to show up on camera. You need to practice. You need to get over those nerves that you have sometimes. It wasn't even nerves. I'll tell you what it was. Okay. okay I what wrote, is it? I, actually wrote a, <laughs> I wrote a post. I wrote a post about it. It's still in my notes. I haven't shared it. And I'll, I'll probably share it tomorrow or something. The thing I didn't want um, was, number one, it was more uh, like I'm a know-it-all. Because I thought, okay, who am I? I'm not. Tony Robbins I'm, I'm just like a person that has a small business even though I was getting paid a lot of money to share my sales knowledge but I just didn't I just didn't think that what I I didn't want to like I just thought it it wasn't important number two is I didn't I don't want to deal with trolls I didn't want to deal with trolls and I saw a lot of people on YouTube and I just thought you know why would I put myself in that position so that's really my reasons um but anyway, after I did that, if I could go back, my biggest regret is not doing that seven years ago and starting my, yeah. even if mm -hmm. when, when you look back, I mean, what kind of excuses are they? And, you know, we spoke about fears earlier yeah. as well. And one of those is fear of criticism. And that's something that yeah, you just need to take out the fear of criticism because it will yeah. get in the way of what you're meant to do. You know, sharing online yeah. something that you need to do today. Yeah, it was like in my business, every time I deliver a training, I have to give feedback forms and then I get them back. So don't like I'm somebody that has thousands, like this much of, it's not good for the environment, but this much of um, pay, feedback, feedback forms. So I, I'm open to criticism. I'm open to feedback and I'm very confident in what I do. It's just, yeah, I don't know. So my advice is, yeah, build your authority, build it at a scale. Um, but at the same time, look, I just met a guy last week who made $40,000 this month from BNI. Mm. And he doesn't, he doesn't uh, he's got LinkedIn, but he doesn't really use it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you can build your authority, whatever, but it's not, and it's important for the future. But at the same time, I'm in two minds. I do think sometimes if you go out, if you're a great networker, you can make a lot of money. 
from me because in the flesh nothing beats in the flesh by the way mm-hmm. and sometimes you can get lost with so many relationships that you end up having not too many options leave you no options if i have thousands of connections sometimes i actually end up not talking or building relationships with a lot of them because i've just so too many options yeah that's so true and that's where you have to be very very definite and very conscious as well with the network and the people that you're trying to target and also just the i think the relationships that you have absolutely that that's why yeah absolutely targeted and what but you know with your content i think it's relevant for everyone if i was doing what you're doing I would reach everyone, everyone from like Sudan to America to like everyone. I had countries, everybody needs- yeah, like even with the podcast as well, it was reaching, you know, countries that I didn't even realize, like in Japan and Oman and Africa, all of these different, yeah, yeah all of these different continents. And you think that's today, you can really make that difference. And the messages that you can continue to get, I'm so humbled and grateful. That's just stepping out. You know, and everyone's different. I think you have to know what is your specific purpose. Now I know why yours are doing so well in those countries. Because I think a lot of the stuff you share in Western countries, they've been around for a long time. But in, you know, even where I come from, Beirut and things like that, or Pakistan or even Brazil, it's not very popular. And a lot of times they have more struggles. They don't have as many privileges. They might not have welfare to fall back on or um, it's very hard. So I think they need your content. It's just, you know, when I was asking, why do you think they're doing well? And we were just, because you're, you're, they're in the top three, top whatever in those countries. I'm just, my theory my um, is that it could be that, but I don't know. I'm not, I think, it's not a fact. Yeah, I've spoken to many people um, just recently as well, just through what's happening. I think everyone in the world today is struggling. And I think there's different ways of how people reach out. Um, but definitely... Yeah. Yeah, I think we're in a different, you know, I think everyone feels that we're in a different time. And so being, feeling like we're in a different time that we realize how much more connected that we need to be. We realize that motivation every single day is so key. The people that you listen to, the words that you use, your actions, all of that makes a huge difference. And you'll be, you know, surprised. Um, I was surprised as well, even within, you know, when I was in Australia, and you, you've seen a lot of my inspirational videos, Rana. I'd be in the elevator and people around me would just start looking at me and I'm thinking, why are they looking at me? And then they step out and they said, Laura, I saw your video this morning. Oh, my gosh, you are so inspirational. And I know they never liked or commented, wow. but I, I knew. And this was yeah. people across Australia. And then every single day I'll go in the kitchen, I'll make my coffee, and then someone else would say, oh, your video, I can't wait for tomorrow's video. It's like they were waiting for it. So this is people within the corporate world in Australia, people from America. I would say that a majority of the people who watch my stuff are from the United States. It's like, it's huge. It's probably nearly 50%. So it's a huge, huge market there in terms of people love it. And they do love the Aussie accent. They keep telling me the Aussie accent. But I, that, that's why I think you just have to be so true to yourself. Whether you feel more um, in terms of BNI, you mentioned BNI, if you've got a specific network or you've got that strong email marketing or whether you found LinkedIn, because for me, it was specifically LinkedIn. I had this flash in my mind. It was video, LinkedIn. So you just have to be very true to yourself at the same time. Absolutely. I think building authority can happen online and offline. And yeah, so it's where your tribe is. And your tribe, Laura, 
is international all around the world from different classes. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> political views and everything. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I think not, we were... not, not, not the pessimists. Uh, well, maybe they need it too. You know, the like. I've turned oh, so people cool. around. You yeah. realize how you can transform situations around with someone saying, oh, I'm really sorry that I said that you know yeah and no that's good because some people it's cool to be um anti tony robbins or anti positivity uh i think i think that's a decision and i also learned that mm. what you can do if you know you spoke about trolls before if someone does say something and say the word could be um i'm just trying to think of a word which is it's probably not in my vocabulary but let, let's say i saw a troll say something like oh that's tacky okay and then you have to stay, you have to stop and pause and you have to think, tacky, am I? No, you have to think, is that you? Do you even use that vocabulary? You don't. So it's not even you. So this is where you have to distinguish. You have to say, are the opinions of others more important than mine? And if it's true, is there something that I can improve on? And you realize, you just listen to the words. I don't even, you think, I don't even use that type of language. I do, I never use it. So I don't know how that comes about. And so I think you just have to be very mindful. You've got to stop and you have to think, is it really you? If it's not, is there something you can learn from? Sometimes you have to say thank you and accept it if you think there is a way that you can improve. Um, but at the same time, you just got to know who you are. And it's so small. I'll say the actual percentage that I've seen is you could have, um, 10,000 views on something and it could be one person. I mean, come yeah. on. One and sometimes not even one because LinkedIn, yeah, it's not, you don't get as many trolls because they could lose their business, their clients and their jobs. And LinkedIn is very um, particular in fake accounts. So they would ban your account if it gets reported and it's fake. And they'll ask you to send them your passport and things like that. Mm, that's why so, you have to, yeah. yeah. And then so now yeah, I thought, but yeah. So now I thought we'll okay. talk about, we're just like, okay, so now we're going to talk about objections because we're doing this right now. Okay. You've got this incredible story. You, you were trying to sell, you're trying to sell and you're like, nothing's coming through. And then you're reading all these books. And one of them was about how to, how to overcome objections. Now, this is the key thing. It's always important to surround yourself with mentors or people who are incredible. And one of the gentlemen, he said to you, Rana, put it down, put it down. And he said, objections. The only objection that you have is share with us, Rana. Is your mindset. Yes. Yeah. So it was the first glimpse of the Tony Robbins or personal development world. As I said, because when I was in my acting world, I didn't know about um, mindset, visualizations, the law of attraction, things like that. And he just says, you know, visualize your perfect meeting, visualize uh, communicating with these people, visualize that you're building trust, visualize how your product is going to make a huge difference in their life. And also then he got me to write down before I went out to any sales meeting, how much I'm going to make. So today I'm going to make 48,000 and I would make literally like, we didn't have set prices so we can negotiate on the prices, you know, 48,000 today. Like I'd literally make that number um, or I'm going to make, and it was very Close. So anything I wrote down, if I visualize it, I did well. And I just started selling like, uh, because my mindset was a block. It was my confidence. And specifically when you stop selling, mm. then you start losing confidence and you just have to believe and in yourself and believe and visualize. 
And I started using a lot of these exercises in my personal life. And then I came across Tony Robbins and I came across NLP and then I studied NLP and then like it took me to a huge, so my sales job, you can say, started my um, personal development and mindset journey. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, if I, maybe if I didn't do sales, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken that journey. I wouldn't have known about it maybe until later in my life. Yeah. And I think that's the key yeah. thing as well. You talked about visualization and then also thinking about using your imagination because before it happens out there in the real world, you have to believe mm-hmm. it yourself. You have to say it, it's not, yes, here, and then you actually create it. And that happens with every single thing. I mean, before we, we started speaking, we thought, all right, well, we need to plan this to set up a time. It happened here first before it actually happened. And it's exactly yeah. the same thing with anything that we desire in our life. I use that word desire because you have to want it. And you can't say, oh, well, I don't like, for example, I don't like sales, but then you're trying to sell. It just doesn't make sense. You know, you really have to love it. And, you know, watch, I think, watch the words that you're saying as well. What are those roadblocks? And sometimes you realize you, you mentioned it was a mindset. It all starts with mindset. I've even had sales trainers or people reach out to me saying, can you help us write sales training or, um, sorry, sales managers saying, oh, I just want to teach people how to overcome objections. I want to teach them how to um, close. And then I ask, okay, what else do you want to teach them? And they say, nothing. That's all I want to teach them. And then I say, what about confidence? What about mindset? What about resiliency? What about um, over, uh, dealing with rejection? Because they tell me, like when we're having conversations, they say, yeah, like they're a bit scared on the phone. They don't want to get on the phone. They lack the confidence. But then when it comes to, okay, because I have to do the discovery and ask them, what is it that you want to teach them? And it's very rare that they say, I want to teach them, want to teach them mindset. Mm. And I, many times I refuse to run any sales training or write any content because sometimes I write content for other sales companies, by the way, um, which is their own brand that does not have the mindset element. I think it's so key because you realize even within school or even in university, I mean, those are the most important things that, you know, to, to be successful, you need to have the right mindset. And I think confidence, I mean, who teaches you confidence unless you take it on yourself or then you're yeah. quite self-aware and you go to the right yeah. conferences, for example. But I think it's so key in that process. Absolutely. I mean, even um, I teach EQ and I teach the self-awareness part. And a lot of people will say, when we do the exercise, they suddenly say, you know what, I actually did not have self-awareness. I did not know I was an aggressive person. I did not know I was... And although they, the training is not going to help them stop being aggressive unless they do the work, but that self-awareness is. Mm-hmm. And just remember that, you know, knowing yourself is really true wisdom. You know, once you know yourself yeah. more, you, you figure out what are some of the weaknesses that you can improve on and even some of the great strengths. And even Rana, how you mentioned before, through that process where you were selling, you found your strength of being able to relate and being able to sell. And so when you think about there were other three key words that you've mentioned in the great TED talk that I thought we should talk about too is courage. So courage in being able to go out there and not be afraid. Well, first of all, to work in sales, it does take courage and you have to have courage, but a lot of people end up having to sell without realizing whether you're a chiropractor, whether you're, you start your own business, um, you still have to sell 
And a lot of times, if you don't have the courage to, like when you first start a business, to be honest with you, you have to get on the phone if you're selling to businesses, because a lot of times those decision makers, you're not going to reach them on a Facebook ad and you're not going to reach them on LinkedIn sometimes because maybe they're not using it. Especially so some of the get important on the deals that you have to, yeah. Yeah, get on the phone, go door knocking, go networking. And it takes courage to tell them, hey, do you, can we have a coffee meeting or when do you have time and get rejected? I've sent hundreds of messages, oh, sorry, thousands of messages which got rejected However, I'm doing business with a lot of those people now in my industry and niche. But when I first started, I just had to fill a pipeline and get, um, get awareness out there. Number, yeah, so number one is absolutely courage. Mm-hmm. And patience, I think, is another key one where you do have to plant those seeds because that's what you specifically did. You said now you speak to those people. Yeah. So, yeah, the number two thing is having patience because a lot of the times those people are not going to respond to you and sometimes they might not do business with you for years and it's like the compound effect there's a book called the compound effect and it says that every little thing that you do today whether it's your diet exercise meditation you don't see it's all the little things that you do that are going to give you the results later on and with sales it's all the little things that you do every little post that you make every little call that you make every message that you send every call that you call and say hey customer i'm just calling to say hello all these little habits that a lot of us might let go of because it's easy to let go of those habits if you do those and you fill a pipeline and you might not see the results for three months to six months or even if you start a business you might not see results for a year that's why you have to have patience because a lot of times people give up before the big breakthrough happens. Mm-hmm. That's it's so just, true. Just before, it's something yeah. that I teach within my mastermind alliances is like that big success usually happens with yeah. some like a really big, great, I call it temporary defeat. I don't call it a failure, but it's, and we do yeah. that through life. Sometimes it's that turning point and you think, oh, I could have mm. just done it, you know, just switched the plan just a bit. And then you would have made that massive sale. And you think about yeah. Thomas Edison, right? 10,000 times. He fell 10,000 times. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. And I'm sure he had a lot of patience, that man. Mm. And it just shows even his background as well. It doesn't matter where you come from, that he was able to become the best inventor in the world. And so, you know, relentless work, I think that's another big one. We hear the word hustle a lot today, mm-hmm. but also about working smart. So, you know, share more about that in having that strong work ethic, but also working a lot more intelligently today, especially with the technology that we have around us. So when I say work ethic, so for me, what I do, although I might work 12 hour days, it's almost like I'm meditating or I'm watching Netflix. I enjoy as much as doing that. Okay. So you have to love what you're doing and enjoy it. And then it won't feel like it's work. Number two, but when I say relentless work ethic, because a lot of people, they buy these overnight success courses or they want to find shortcuts and there's no shortcuts. I'm not saying for you to kill yourself and not spend time with your spouse and have a divorce over it. What I'm trying to say is put in the work every day, whatever work, whether it's five hours a day work or it's on the weekend or 12 hour days, whatever is suitable for you and your lifestyle, but yeah, so you have to work hard. There's no other way. Yeah. There's no other way about it. There's no hacks. And or, something I say is all great achievements require sacrifice. 
Yeah, so um, I love that. And um, Charles Bukowski, his poem, Go All The Way. If you haven't heard of it, Google it. Whoever's listening, have you heard that poem? Uh, I always say go video. all in and burn the boats. You have to put your 100 yeah, yeah. effort and choose at one you're to achieve fame. <laughs> yeah, so his poem is if you're going to try, go all the way. And even he's like, even if you lose girlfriends, you sleep on a park bench, you freeze to death. Like, obviously, it's all extreme. I'm not going to freeze to death to, to get what I want. But, you know, it's such a beautiful poem. And there's a, a YouTube clip with the music and the, the visuals. Someone's done it. I'll share that with you anyway. You're going to love it. I listen to that once every two weeks, once every week sometimes. You know what's a great that, reminder, you speak about that, what's a great reminder for me, um, you know, how was my grandma who raised me and it was her last dying days and I was sitting next to her and I would look at her and I thought, wow, am I doing everything I'm meant to do in this life? You know, I, I want, when I, that was when, it's my, yeah. when it's my last day, I want to make sure that I don't regret anything. And even if I had to sit on somewhere and freeze to death, at least I was following my dream because you know what, at the end of the day, yeah. like, I'm, you know, we're going to talk about stoicism later, but at the end of the day, we're all going to die. <laughs> like really, so yeah. why don't you live your life to, you know, to what you can every single day and be very conscious about what you do. And we see the most successful people, they've had struggles, every single one of them. You mentioned Tony Robbins before, Gary Vee. Like Gary Vee talks about the sacrifice that he had, you know, towards amazing things that he's doing today. He tells it like how it is. Same thing, Tony Robbins, he was so authentic with his story. He said, I was broke, I had no money, I was overweight, all these things, but look at him today. And they, they're just great demonstrations of what you're, you're capable of doing when you do believe you follow a lot of the principles that we've been talking about today as well. Yeah, and I mean, they had all the, they had the courage, they had the patience, otherwise they wouldn't be here today, and they had the relentless work ethic. And obviously there's a lot more elements to success. It's not just those, but um, those are the things. Because I don't, to be honest with you, me, I don't have a lot of patience. I've given up. Like I gave up on my acting career because I didn't see fast results, right? So, but I've had to learn patience and I've had to, I always remind, like, I've got this thing where I always look at it as compound effect. Anytime I don't get the results from the prospecting that I do or the social media stuff that I do, I just look at that and say compound effect. And everything that I, you know, my first workshop had six people in it, my first workshop. I'm, my workshops, like, I take 22 people maximum, but I had, my last workshop, I had... 40 people sign up and I had to only take like 20 people, for example. Mm. And then I ended up filling up all my workshops. I had overall like 200 people all across Australia within a one month period. But I remember my first workshop, I had six people and I think two or three of them, I gave them for free and I was selling it very cheap. And then the second workshop, it was hard too. And the third workshop and it's just, you know, and then you start to... So what contributed to that success? The compound effect, the patience, the courage, the, um, I can't tell you how many cold calls I've made when I started my business to companies and people in high up in positions, just to tell them about my training and what I do that said no to me, that are doing business with me today. Now they don't know, they don't remember me because there was a long process. There's the um, combination prospecting. They're on my email list. I, I write articles, which I don't really share outside of my email marketing to their industry. I've given free uh, events. I make sure that I'm good at what I do. So what happens is when I finish that workshop, their staff go and say, 
I give away a lot of webinars for free to their staff where the staff go and say, hey, check out Rana's webinar. Um, you know, they go tell their managers. What else do I do? I do the LinkedIn content. I build relationships. But when you first start, I think you have to get on the phone. You want to work with that five, Fortune 500 company? Yeah, get on LinkedIn, whatever, but get on the phone. Mm -hmm. Do your research, build awareness. You're not going to get a lot of results on the phone in business to business, but you're going to get the information and you're just going to build that one touch point because there's a lot of touch points in sales. Absolutely. And I love the power, you know, the power of giving that you mentioned as well. So even more so today, mm. do you realize yeah. that we need to give more like through the webinars and how that works? Uh, yeah, because people, I have this saying, well, maybe I've heard it somewhere, I don't know if it's mine. I always say to people when they say, I made these calls or I reach out to someone on LinkedIn and I say, who the hell are you and why should I care? I don't say that directly, but I say, who the hell are you and why should they care? Because you're just another digital marketer, you're just another sales trainer, you're just another recruiter that's bothering them and going to the inbox. However, if you build your authority, you build your brand, you build your reputation, whether it's um, going to talk for free or giving that free webinar where people come on and go, wow, Laura's webinar is amazing. And um, then you call up somebody that went to that webinar and say, hey, and then they're going to, okay, I'm listening to you, Laura, or through your amazing content that you spend hours a week giving away freely. Mm -hmm. And everybody and I have so to say it does work. It does work. So when you reach out, like when I first started, I used to use LinkedIn for a long time, by the way, I didn't build a lot of content on there. But when I reached out to people, a lot of times I got ignored. The same people I'm reaching out to now, they're like, wow, Rana, I've been a fan of yours for years. And I remember I, they probably don't remember, I called because I've got my Excel sheet when I started then my CRM. I was like, okay, I know this name. They've ignored me. I didn't take it personally. But now they're giving me attention because they can see that I'm giving away a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. And I'm building my reputation and my credibility, which is called uh, personal branding or whatever you want to call it. I don't really use that word, but that's what it's called, personal mm. branding. Yeah. If you want to research it. If anyone wants to research. And yeah, I think that that's so true because once you establish that reputation, that brand as well online, you've already had that connection. And so, yeah. you know, you, you briefly talked about rejection when people didn't respond. And I... And, you know, what if when a client says, I'm not ready, I need more time, I don't have money. I mean, these are the most common excuses that we've heard, but it's still being used today. What are the responses that you say to potential clients that say that? Okay, so let's, let's um, establish that that's an objection, that it's real. I think when they don't have money, many times, or sometimes I've seen people borrow money of somebody if they really want it. For example, I had a um, business trainer deliver this uh, amazing sales pitch. I wanted his course and I did not have money and I borrowed money to, to, to do that. But sometimes they genuinely don't have money. So if they, don't, if they say to you they don't have money, maybe they, you haven't built up enough value in regards to what they need. Or maybe you didn't do enough, a great discovery and speak in regards to their language. So you might have to backtrack a little bit and then ask them more questions to find out, is it really that they don't have money or is it really that they, they don't have the value? But to be honest with you, when it comes to overcome, you can't really overcome an objection. There's no like tricks. Overcoming it, and a lot of sales trainers, they teach you, okay, like this is a trick to overcome an objection. And many times people go out there and apply it and it doesn't really work because you know yourself, Laura, when you have objections, is anyone gonna change your mind? Yeah, when I think about some of these uh, some of these things, I just think 
it's probably really true. Like they're interested. They are. But just like you said, maybe a year later, they just want to talk to you. And I think that's the first point. It's like they would just want to talk to you. I mean, that is a great, you know, you've already got 90% there. But I think sometimes people really genuinely are not ready. And this is something that I also teach with my success principles in my mastermind alliance is the key word is you have to know if you're ready, Mm -hmm. right? Just like when you thought with your content marketing journey, you had to wait until you're ready to make that next step. You wanted to do it. You had it in your mind, but you had to be ready. They have to be ready and you can't push them. However, I think when someone gives you a genuine objection, maybe they um, maybe scared to make that commitment because they might not believe in the results that they're going to get. So for example, somebody might not want to make an investment to your fitness program because they don't believe that they can commit to that. So then I would try and understand their objection. And then I might say, okay, what if, so this is how I'd work with that objection. An objection is not about overcoming it. It's about firstly understanding that person's model of the world, their values, and why they have this objection, their deep objection. It's not about um, trying, because if you don't come from a place of understanding, you're not going to be able to overcome that objection. So when someone gives an objection, the most common thing a lot of people do in sales or non-sales is they try and overcome that objection. They're like, okay, but what if I could give you this? Or, or um, you know, but we're better or like they try and debate that person rather than trying to come from a place of understanding. So when someone gives you an objection, number one, the step one is you have to stop and listen. You don't try and overcome their objection. If they've had a bad experience or something, then you show empathy. You say, okay, I'm sorry to hear that you've had a bad experience or whatever, like if appropriate. Number three, this is the most important step a lot of people miss is then you have to understand why they have this. It's not about thinking I'm going to try and understand so I can overcome their objection. It's like you have to be genuine in understanding what, what, why is this objection there? You know, have you not okay. done a great job at building value? Is there not enough? Because a lot of times people don't buy because there's not enough trust in your abilities, by the way. And you talked They're about the ready. two types as well, being pushy or being consulting. And I think that's right. Exactly. Approach. Exactly. So understanding and then when you understand and you find out their objections, so you ask them, you know, okay, when I go to a company and they say, we don't have the budget, I say, okay, what is your budget? I want to understand. And what is your normal budget? And what, what works? Like, I might not give them the price that they want, but I want to understand. Like, is it really? And then I ask them, okay, so it's put aside, you have the budget. Is this something that, it, what do you like most about it? What don't you like? And then I, it comes then to the point where it's actually not even about the budget. It's something that we don't trust that our staff are going to implement the program. So we're going to, we're going to waste money. Or we don't trust in your abilities. They don't say that directly, but through me understanding, I can understand their perception of me. Mm. Then um, number four, after they give me the objection, then I have to summarize back to them. So from my understanding, this is what you said. And I repeat back to them what they said because people then want to feel that you've acknowledged them. After you've gone through those three or four steps, the stop, listen, the um, acknowledging the objection, asking the right questions to dig deeper and summarizing, do you actually have a chance of overcoming any objection? And then after you've done all that, then you can say to them, and this is, some people say like, it doesn't work. I know it works. I've seen it in action. You start with a sentence saying, look, what if I could do this would this, would you be open to this? What if I look, Laura, I know that you don't believe that you're going to get the results based on what you said, 
what if I could give you a one week trial, no commitment, and you worked with me and I gave you the accountability plan, would you be open to at least trying that to see if that works for you? Many people would say yes to that. Okay, that's it. Yeah. So, but you can't, you can't even do that in the beginning if you don't understand the objection and you don't go through, through those four steps. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and I, I love that, you know, if I could do this, would you do this? But some people say, oh, that's more old-fashioned, high pressure. But I've seen at work, because I have implementation plans, I listen to people on their calls and that does work. But it doesn't work if you go straight into that. It works if you go through those steps that I talked about but yeah just remember a lot of times if someone's not ready or if it's a money issue that's not really I don't look at it like a that's more of a trust objection that they don't trust in not you but what you have to maybe you but what you have to offer or in your, what your program is or sometimes people say you know also the most dangerous not dangerous like the people that I don't trust are the people that because I do it myself like I've had cleaners or whatever. They're like, oh yeah, we're going to charge you 250 for two hours of cleaning. For me, that's a lot of money. 250 for two hours of cleaning. It's a small little place, right? Mm -hmm. I don't tell them that I can't, it's money because I don't want to um, make them feel bad. Also, I don't want to show them like I can't afford it or, or like even, even though I can afford it, but I don't want them to, it's almost like that started. So some people might not even tell you that they can't afford it. A lot of people would not. They're just like, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I have to think about it. Let me. So a lot of times it's hard to even get people's objections. Unless you do a great discovery and you qualify the person really well, um, you're going to get ghosted. So you have somebody say, yeah, yeah, I, had, I was on a call with somebody and she was like, yeah, I love your stuff, whatever. And then um, I even gave her free whatever. And I like, I said, yeah, try out my webinar for $47. She's like, yeah, I'm going to buy this webinar because I gave her an hour free. Mm -hmm. And probably I didn't do enough of a good discovery. And um, she then I ended up sending her the um, information and then she just ghosted me. Although she said she's going to buy at the end. But, but some people say they're going to buy it when they... That happens a lot. Yeah, and I do it. My I do it myself. Sorry, I'm, sorry I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to talk to you. When when you I follow up, I'm going to just because uh, you know it's hard to say no sometimes. Mm, mm, yeah. I've just gone into a rant of objections. But yeah, objections are <laughs> not about changing them. It's about understanding and seeing then if you have the solution that can help them. Yeah. But sometimes it's actually sometimes I don't even try to overcome objections. If it's not they're not ready, whatever. I go, okay, I understand. I stay on top of mind, and then they come back to me. And many times they've come back to me. And, and so now we're just going to have, in terms of success, I wanted to really, you know, I wanted you to share this as well. What does success mean for you? So this is your overall life and also your business and you see how sales is an important part of who you are. Yeah. So success means to me that I'm doing something that I love every day and I have a purpose and I'm waking up every day happy and doing it. Now, the money success, of course, I want to have money success because that's going to help me my family other people in my life however I think if I'm healthy and I'm happy and I don't end up making my money goals I'm still going to die happy because I've lived my life to the even I don't want to say because I don't want to jinx myself but I always say to people I've lived in many countries I've done everything I've done all the traveling I ever wanted I've done almost everything I've had the love stories that I wanted um That's the experiences amazing. that i wanted that if i die tomorrow now be God, fine. whatever you know <laughs> don't kill me tomorrow <laughs> but you know i always say you know i've actually lived a life more full than people that have lived 
that are 80 years old and living. So as long as you are living, okay, so success means to me, my highest value is freedom, number one, and social justice and fairness. Those are my two highest values. So freedom is being able to be autonomous in what I'm doing, whether I'm in a relationship, I cannot be with somebody that's controlling, that's trying to um, tell me what to do. So in my relationship, in a work environment, I cannot be with a micromanager. Being free to, living in a country like this, I cannot live in places in uh, countries that women are oppressed. Mm -hmm. So I'm successful, I'm so grateful. And number two is speaking about fairness. So I do a lot of um, animal rights and things like that. So. I do like to speak about things that are in uh, injustice. Mm -hmm. And that's, I and think, I don't know, I'm still figuring out what success is. Like, it's, I feel like you're coaching I, me. And I I'm think, like, you know what, what success, it's so true, right? Success, I, I find, you know, I've been sharing this a lot in terms of what success means is really being true to who you are. And yeah. it's exactly, and this is how I also define it, especially with how I lead the Mastermind Alliance. Exactly. It's about, you know, really working on your definite purpose without violating the rights of others. Exactly. Like if I could, I like because that. you're working yeah, yeah. on your specific purpose, but you're not getting in the way of anyone else in terms of their rights. And for me that when you're working on your purpose, you are so relentless. You would have the patience. You'd have all of it. It would just come, but you need to have that desire for it. I would say you have to have that desire. Yeah. And so, you know, even Paulo Coelho, I've mentioned him, but he's just incredible because his book has changed millions and millions of people all around the world. And he had the same thing. So the doctor, you know, a few years back said, you don't have much time to live. You've got something wrong. You've got a heart condition. And you know why he sat there and he thought, you know what? I'm actually okay. I did everything in my life, everything. And then because he wanted to be a writer when he was a kid, right? But his parents said, no, you're not going to be a writer. That's a crazy idea. And he didn't become a writer until, you know, a, you know, in his, I think in his 30s or so when he became quite serious about it. But he said, you know what? And I accomplished to be that writer that I said I was going to be. So I'm okay. And he was with the love of his life for about 35 years. He said, oh my gosh, that's just amazing. So he was ready to take me. I've done everything. And so that's an important thing that you've just said as well. You've done everything that you've always wanted to do. You know, you tried out acting as well, but then you realize your gift along the way. And, mm. you know, you spoke about fairness. And so I want you to share, you know, you're so passionate about this. You can use this platform to share this as well about your love for animals. Okay. So I'll be nice about, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so, as you know, I'm a vegan and I've been involved in animal activism, which I don't show that side of me on LinkedIn because I always say it's not about me or the animals. It's about my clients and I'm there for business. I don't walk into the boardroom and with my sign saying, you know, animals are here for us or whatever. But so it all started was when I watched this film, it's called Earthlings. You can find it for free on YouTube. And I saw cows pigs chickens even fish and they were fighting for their last breath and they were crying even like they were trying to save their friends and even like it was at places where are uh, considered humane slaughter but like the pig is still screaming and crying when i saw that it was a paradigm shift i almost i went from like not really caring about animals somebody that you know i like dogs but they're just there for us like they're cute mm -hmm. to feeling like animals have their purpose in life and they are important um 
and they're just maybe they're not as smart as us maybe but they are just as important to be here and they have a right to be here as humans and then i stopped eating them i stopped uh taking any uh of their fur or their skin i stopped using them in my makeup and i then learned about something called speciesism speciesism is no different to racism or sexism or homophobia but it's in regards to how humans perceive and oppress animals so we perceive them as objects we treat our phone in a better way than we treat um a, a chicken you know and a chicken protects her children and you know that word she, not many people talk about that actual speciesism. word mm. yeah so speciesism if you learn about the concept and philosophy then you're kind of because we are conditioned since we're born that a pig a cow a chicken and uh, uh, just objects they have no feelings a dog and a cat they're cute there are pets humans are superior and animals are here and in the end of the day you know sometimes if you have a privilege use that privilege for good and we have a privilege over animals that we can communicate we have a voice we have rights and why do we save a dog but we don't want to save a pig or a cow so when i discovered that obviously in the beginning um i spoke about it in my ted talk i was quite aggressive i didn't use my sales skills i didn't build a rapport i was just like you know, meat is murder. If you're eating meat, you're a bad person, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then I changed the way I communicate. I need to understand that I was a person that was not vegan. I also have to understand that people have different models of the world. Some people might never uh, end up being vegan. Some people might be too conditioned or maybe they might not thrive or whatever. Like there's different reasons. I do understand that, but I do want to educate everybody to treat humans, uh, sorry, to treat animals to have that compassion as well. To have that compassion, like a cow is no different from your dog. If you love your dog and you would pay 20 grand, I know people that have no money and go get a loan to save their dog, 20 grand loan. But then you're eating a steak, think about what is the difference? And also if you can thrive, survive without, and we can, and we can be healthy. If you can thrive and survive without being a contributor to this, um, what's happening to animals why not and that's it just ask yourself that question try if you haven't tried it try it um maybe just cut back on me it's going to help you it's going to help your family but at the end of the day it's your decision and i think it's my job just to educate and yeah just and, and keep yeah, on spreading the message that's right and i think that's just, this is where you spoke about self-awareness before about being a true self yeah. and when you know but also being in a way that's very respectful as well especially in the world yeah. that we live in today where people are just so much more aware and you spoke about youtube you can look anything up on youtube you can make the decisions you can be aware and even the industry oh my gosh it continues to grow because people they also you know they want something new uh they want something new. They're thinking about their health. They're thinking about how they can save the environment. So all these yeah. things, I think it's important for us to also consider. And it's great to, to share that because when you think about us as human beings, we have so many passions, right? It's not just that one thing you spoke yeah. about. You love traveling as well. And yeah. so after, you know, with what we're going through, where would be the first place that you'd love to visit? That I haven't been to. That you haven't been probably to? or whether you've Brazil. been to doesn't Brazil really Brazil. <laughs> you can yeah. come and visit me <laughs> no because I've been to so many countries that I'm almost like my thirst for traveling is I've because also I always told people that my travel bug 
had ruined my career, my relationships, because I had this bug where you know I was. It's had a to lie. Travel. Can I tell you? It's such a lie. You know, I was talking about this on my other podcast as well. And yeah. I, I remember I love traveling. I remember that was the first thing that I did when I started my corporate career. I just traveled around the world. I said, these are the countries I'm going to go to. And then people were saying, oh, my God, all you do is travel, Laura. All you do is travel, Laura. And then with everything that's happening today, we cannot even travel. So if you have yeah. that desire in your heart at that time in your life and you follow yeah. your gut and you follow your instinct, yeah. It's important to listen to that and make that decision because there are moments where you can't go do those same things. And even, you know, some of the business partners I work with, she said the same thing. She loved to travel before, but there is no way she can travel today because she's just yeah. obviously her work with her family. So in that moment, you have to think about what's important to you at that moment and it continues to change, doesn't it? Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And I think um, I think because I've done my traveling, that I was able to, if this happened, COVID-19 happened before, I would have been distraught, to be honest with you, because I always wanted to travel. Like it was just my thing. But now I think my purpose has changed. So my business has, my drive for my business has overtaken my drive for traveling. That's so right. I'm quite excited for Brazil. Maybe I can visit you on when this uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll definitely be an experience it is so different sometimes i have yeah. to you know i have to like pinch myself and say am i really here this is so different from australia like it's completely different but the people are so warm and i think that's the nicest thing as well they make me always feel at home here so it's truly incredible and it's so true because i remember the thirst and the hunger and the desire to travel was so strong mm. before and then now you realize that you're just the way you think, like I'm so passionate about the work that I do now that that's all like when I get up in the morning, that's what I think about. And I know you, yeah. you feel the same thing. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world because you're in your own, um, in your own world. That, yeah, if you're enjoying what you're doing, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Yeah. So you enjoy it. So I know, Rana, we can talk forever. I mean, before we started recording, we were speaking, I think it was like an hour and a half, just chatting away. Oh, yeah, we were. <laughs> it just shows. That was the longest free podcast um, chat. <laughs> yeah, so it just shows that sometimes there are just some people in your life that you can just talk and talk and talk and you can really connect and you can see she's just got a beautiful heart. So we just want to say thank you so much, Rana, for joining us and any final words. That, that's always hard any final I, I mean i'm just guessing like everybody has been listening because you know some people drop off no, um, everyone listens trust me they my, tell me no, no. my final words is thank you so much for listening all the way through i appreciate your time and that's my final <laughs> okay. and go out so yeah my final words are when it comes to selling your we're always sales people whether we like it or not you are selling yourself whether it's on a date in your into a job into um a promotion so go out there and learn how to sell and if you don't have the money to learn how you know there's courses that are so cheap online get on youtube there's lots of books and just learn and then implement that's my final words i should have thought of my final words before you asked me that i want to you want to do it again no no that's okay <laughs> it's okay it's, fine. it's a podcast you can but do no it no i i am serious about learning how to sell okay. it's it's really and not just because i sell, sell sales training it doesn't have to be my course i always tell people go out there and learn and if somebody else resonates with you and their training style then go and buy their courses yeah. as well 
All right, so Rana, we just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of your insights, all of your stories. You were, you know, so raw, so real, and you can see the compassion that you have for people and just everything else as well in the world. So we just want to thank you so much for joining us. You've been such a pleasure to have here today and share with us. Thank you so much, Laura, and I'm so uh, honored to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. What you think about, you bring about. But just make sure you also speak it out. Don't allow your silence to kill your dreams. Make it happen and know the universe is on your side, especially when you know exactly what it is you want. If you put your focus, energy and positive thoughts on what you desire, you'd see the abundant opportunities come your way. Whatever it is, if you have that burning desire, It's as if it was meant to be. You feel it in your heart and it moves you to action. The universe gives you what your heart desires. Speak your dreams, speak it out and do not silence your dreams. Keep your voice and visions alive. For pre-orders of my book, Your Silence is Killing Your Dreams, register on my website www.com lauraerivero.com and I'm sure to keep you updated on the release.